This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. Hello and welcome to Sea Stories, our series about lives touched by the sea. I'm John Murphy and I'm standing in Arklow Port today talking with Captain Danny O'Neill, one of the county's most illustrious seafarers and the author of a very good book on his life. We're sitting in the marina aboard Cheers, Danny's boat. Although he's retired, he's as passionate as ever about going to sea. In the programme, we'll be talking to Danny about his life at sea, talking about Arklow's contribution to the marine industry and we'll be visiting the Arklow Maritime Museum, which he now runs. This is Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. Okay, we're sitting aboard uh, Danny's yacht, Cheers, in the marina in Arklow. When did you first get smitten by the sea? Mm, good. <laughs> Always was, when we, when we were children. We spent time on fishing boats and uh, going out fishing. And School holidays, we used to go with them for a week or something like that. There's a tradition in your family of seafaring, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Both sides, yeah. Both sides? Yeah. My goodness. Mm-hmm. So then you decided to p- pursue a career at sea. So how did that start? What did you do first to get in, you know, when you finished school? Well, at the beginning, that was my full intention, just to remain remain at the fishing. And uh, then we had a bad fishing season one year. I was 13 at the time. And I said, oh, I go off further and see if I can, you know, regular few bobs. So I joined one of the Arklow ships. Captain Terrell had, had three coasters. So I got a job on one of them and then I went from there. What, what happened then? Being after you finished at sea it, it, on the coasters? Yeah, I, I, went, I went across to Liverpool and we joined the Shipping Federation, which we call the pool. And you join there, you do exams, and like medical exams and yeah. things like that. And then you're expected to go and get your... EDH certificate and you're, you're given a title, you know. And uh, uh, the first job I got in the in uh, on the, off the pool was a, a Blue Star Line, ordinary mm-hmm. seaman on the yeah. Blue Star Line. So you were only young then at that point. You were very young. You weren't married at that stage. Oh no, very young. Yeah. But that was a great start, deep sea. That was a big step. Yeah, from well, the... yeah. well, that's the way it was. When you joined the pool, you you didn't know where you were going, you know. So I came home and went back then, back to the pool. And I mean, it's a tremendous seafaring tradition here in Ireland. That, yeah. That's yeah. all set out pretty much in the, in the Maritime Museum. Yeah, it is. So over the years, you go through all the training, you work your way up from you know, third mm-hmm. mate, second mate, to captain. Yeah. And that's the responsible job. That's one you're never really off duty, even though you are, so to speak. No, you're on, you're on all the time. You're on call all the time. You leave the, and the written orders every night. Call me if you want me, you know. And you give me warning, watch out for a light, and if it's not seen by 4 a.m. in the morning, give me a call. And what's that like, all that responsibility? You get used to it. Well, I thought you were going to say I had a lack of sleep or something, yeah. but they, you get used to being called all the time. Yeah, I suppose you get used to being able to go back to sleep as well. Like Yeah. No, but the responsibility, you, you grew up with the job, you know, that kind of way. I guess that's, that's the whole idea, the progress through yeah. all the stages, you know. It's very slow going because to, to get a second mate's ticket, you used to have to do four years. Yeah. Now, that was four years at sea. Yeah. So you're, that, On your leave, leave wouldn't yeah. count, you yeah. know. 
you had to be on a ship for four years and things. And the same then, you, you waited two years after that to get a second mate, uh, a mate's ticket, I should say. And then uh, another two years after that to get a master's ticket. So it was eight years. It's like a, yeah, and, and even to get to starting off, it was maybe another five years before that as well, yeah. different stages, so it was a long time. Sure, yeah, yeah. So you had done it, most of the jobs and most of the things by the time you got to be sure, responsible yeah, for you it. Were yeah. well, you were well able for it, yeah. But you didn't have the navigation technology we had oh, today. Oh, no. <laughs> More interesting then. Yeah. <laughs> Very boring now with you know, instruments looking you at. You can see like where that. it is, yeah. Electronic charts and GPSs. So, so, when, so, so when you got married, what did your family think? You were away a lot then, were you? Or? Well, that, that took jobs naturally. The seaman goes away. There was no pressure much put on me to stop it, you know? I think a lot of people don't realise that there's a different environment yeah. than those days. People well, knew what was expected. Yeah, well, my wife was belonged to a seagoing family, fishermen, you know? Family, and she expected it. And most, most women... My wife, was, although she was born in Arklaw, she uh, lived lived most of her life in Dublin but she still kept in touch around here but most of the women in Arklow it was a way of life for them they accepted it almost every house in Arklow at that time had somebody going to see So you have four daughters right Mm -hmm. and and growing up and they growing up over the years with you going away and coming back did you miss things? Sure you did I missed the birth of my two first daughters and there was no such thing as then as getting maternity leave or anything like that, a paternity leave. You just, if you're away, you're away. If your time is up to go back, you, you went back, you had to go back, you know. But how did you But the job, the job, see, there was such a... Shipping kept changing all the time. Yeah. One, one yeah. time there was a lack of cargoes and ships would be laid up all the time. And if you had a job then, well, you had to look after it. And other times there'd be a boom and the ships would be screaming for men. And like, was how did you communicate? You'd make a phone call when you got ashore, or did you? wasn't easy. No, it was mostly by letter. Mostly by letter. Yeah. Would you recommend it to your? Would you have recommended it to your daughters at sea in some capacity? I, I know. I still think it's not a woman's game. I wouldn't. Uh, although I've had lady ladies with me, you know, and the the, the serving their time as cadets yeah. and things like that. Because it wasn't nice in the tankers. You'd have to send everyone down the tanks, the clean tanks and things like that. And it does something to a woman, she comes up and she's covered all over with oil and sludge and things like that. Dirty, you know, you wouldn't tell her, wouldn't be able to tell her from one of the men coming (laughs) up. You had to do it, you were short-handed as well, compared to the old days, you know. It's all right if a woman can get on, say, a liner or something like that, but but I think on liners you're you're not actually going to see at all. It's like a bloody hotel, you know. Can you describe the worst experience at sea in terms of the weather? Was there any time when you felt you were on the edge? The worst experience I had was um, a ship called the Fert Fisher coming around Land's End where the cargo shifted. That was bad, you know, you can't do much then when the... Not in a storm, you can't do much. You can't open the hatches to try and cure it. But we eventually got into Falmouth with a big list and... Land's End is famous. Land's End is treacherous. <laughs> 90 miles per hour winds down there at the time, hurricane force. Sometimes I'm asking you questions because people are trying to get a feeling you know, for mm. listeners who don't know anything about it. And the whole thing is mm-hmm. trying to attract people to understand yeah. it, right? Yeah. Something that I always think of that comes across is that a calm day sitting in the marina 
a nice day in Dublin Bay, there's a huge contrast between, because of the weather, mm-hmm. in conditions at sea, and people necessarily don't appreciate how things change suddenly if the weather changes, in terms of the impact on your life or on your security. It gets, it gets far worse than the ocean and the open seas, you know. Across the Atlantic now, you're, you're very hard to get across for a couple of trips. You may go one or two trips in lovely conditions, but otherwise you run into hurricanes and well, the tail end of hurricanes, but they, they always leave a big swell behind them. So there, there would there'd be days like when you, you wouldn't be able to, uh, you wouldn't get a decent bit of food. You just get, couldn't keep, you couldn't keep the food on the stove. Uh, they'd be all over the place and you'd be living on sandwich, bully beef sandwiches or something like that, mugs of soup. <laughs> and you'd be thrown out of bed at times. That was common occurrence. One of the Irish ships I was in, she burst all the portholes there the, 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 in, the, in the front of the ship, in the, in the bow, you know, mm. in the accommodation. Big sea comes over the bow and hits yeah. the accommodation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's only recently they, 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 they got, uh, they've accepted that we used to tell them if you came in with damage, you'd say, well, I hit a, a freak sea. They said, there's no such thing as a freak sea, but now since the satellites have picked it up... Yeah, the more. They know that they're around, especially on the, the, in the Mozambique Channel mm. uh, there in, 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 uh, and off South, America, South Africa and, of course, off Cape Horn in, uh, in uh, South America. You do get the freak seas, you know. You, with a storm, like you, you, you get a pattern, like the sea get into a pattern after a while. But then there's a quick change of wind, and you get the seas coming this one side of you, and the, the other side of you. And she's corkscrewing all over the place. You know, you're trying to pick out the best way to go. If you pick the wrong way, <laughs> you get hammered. Touched by the Sea, a radio documentary series for East Coast FM. You're listening to Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea. I'm John Murphy, and today I'm in conversation with retired sea captain and Arkla native Danny O'Neill. And we'll be back aboard Danny's yacht Cheers, which is moored in the Arkla Marina later. In the meantime, Danny is showing me around the very impressive Arkla Maritime Museum. Is that what it was, yeah? God, you'd have, that's a big needle, all right, through to that sails. It's situated on the first floor of the Bridgewater Shopping Centre and overlooks the Avoca River. Wow. The lights are on sensors. If you see them going off and things like this, it's because they're moving again. You can start moving again. So this is it. Fantastic. You've got a yeah. collection of models. Fine collection of models. Yeah. In there and up behind and everything. Yeah. And they're very and hard to get nowadays. I recognise that one. You got that model, that's brilliant. Yeah. Terry made that himself. She was built here in Arkla, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah. He made that model himself, did he? Yeah. That wow. was the model before she was built. Oh, as the exact. Yeah. He made her exactly to that. He did, actually, you know? yeah. Yeah. He yeah. made her exactly to that. He made that model for to, just to show the buyers what she'd like, look like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I walked, I sailed her. Have you? Yeah, yeah on our shakedown cruise. That's a pity about what happened. Oh, that's a whole other story. Yeah. I sailed on two boats built in Arklo, Helen of Hoth and Asgard. Uh, oh, yeah. So I sailed the Helen of Hoth to Spain. I remember the Helen of Hoth. So we're, in, so we're in the first room of the Maritime Museum, yeah. right? Open and and what we find here when we come in the door, loads of models. But what else have we got? Well, you have the record of the lifeboat in Arklo from the day she was first placed here in, yeah. in, in 18... Uh, 
1828, I think it was. These are all the records of her services at, you know. There's a great rescue Sorry. there. See Sorry. the swimmers in the water here? Yeah. Where's that, along the coast? Just, you know, just outside on the beach of Arklow, yeah. just off the beach. My goodness, there's a history yeah. here, isn't there? Yeah. So this is obviously a new building. How, how did the museum first start in Arklow, and then how did we end up here? Well, it started in the boys' school. In the, in the brothers, Christian Brothers was here then, and it started for a long weekend. And they had such a reaction and the people coming to visit that they decided to try and make it a permanent Feature. structure. Yeah. So they had to give back the all, all the... all the items here are local and they're loaned or donated to the museum. Everything is all local. We pride ourselves on that. We've nothing from outside. We've some things built outside, but they were... Uh, Manned ships were manned by local people and things like that. Then they got a, they got a prefab from uh, Turlock Hill. Yeah. It was a construction work had finished there, so they let them have a prefab, and they started that in a field. So then the council gave them the old school in St Mary's Road, yes. the technical school. Yeah. Where they dead built a new technical that, school, yeah. and the site was vacant. Now in in, in uh, two thousand and nine. We were offered this place. Yeah. But I mean, there's enough, there's enough history and material from Arklow to fill a museum of local oh, people's. Yeah, well, the, our problem is here, we don't have enough space. Good problem. Yeah, we can't. Uh, everything we have is on display. We've no storage space or we've no workshop. You know, you know occasionally you have to do a bit of work to yeah. you know, maintain everything. But there's a wealth of history here in this small, in, in, in a relatively yeah. small space, yeah, and it's nice to overlook the river as well. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what have that, we got? That's the old Arklow Gansey. Well, the women knitted them for the fishermen. They're, they're, they're knitted on one needle, yeah. one round needle, no seams in it, nothing. And there's kind of what they call a barley row in it. Mm. You know, turned. Well, each household or each group seamen had their own. Trademark on the barley well. Said that if you drowned and knew what they family you came from. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very actually fine design, isn't it? That's my grandfather. Now, he was fishing out of Kinsale when the Lusitania was torpedoed right. down there. And he was in a steam drifter, the Dan O'Connell. That's her there. So they went out and done what they could, rescued bodies and got bodies out of the water and a few live ones and so, so was it and he was presented then with this book from the, the London newspaper sphere. Sinking of Lusitania. That's a shoe, lady shoe he found when he got back to oh, Arklow. Oh, right. Yeah. All the and there's still a, a chair out of the Lusitania, a dining room chair, down with my aunt's house yeah. in Arklow. So, so then, was it was inevitable you went to see well, after it all looks that? looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Around here, now, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of paintings on the wall that look fantastic. Who painted these? Yeah, we have a collection of Reuben Chapels. He was a, what they call the purehead painter. He used to paint the ships, an, an outline of the ships, and bring it in, on board to the master of the ship and ask him which way did he want it. Did he want it with sails rigged? Did he want it in a sea or did he want it in harbour? And before the ship left, he'd have it painted like this well, and he'd go along, show it to the master. And where was he based? He was on the east coast of England, South Shields and Low Stuff and down on that way. So it was a big port with lots of traffic. But then there was lots of Arkle ships. No, a lot of mostly small ships like that. Yeah. 
He preferred doing the sailing ships. And one thing about these, the paintings had to be done near perfect because yeah, the, wouldn't the captain would accept, wouldn't accept, accept it. If he said. Yeah, that line. Now, a lot of people, model makers, are coming down to, to examine their rigging yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, because yeah. like you had a, because a peak halyard is off and it's That's whatever, the truth. Yeah. Like, and these are a list of all the Arklow seamen who was lost in the First World War and the ships. And this, and the is, the, and this is the Second World War. There's a lot, isn't there? There was 37 in the, in the Second World War. And the, 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 the strange thing about it is, in the First World War, they were nearly all lost on Irish ships yeah. and on Arklow ships, Arklow schooners and things, because the, the submarines could pick off the schooners easy. Easy, yeah, they weren't fast. And plus the fact like, that the, the German submarines didn't have a big range in, in those days. Yeah. In the Second World War, they were able to go across the Atlantic. But in the First World War, they were concentrating on the new waters around Britain and uh, Ireland. Easy pickings, you said. Yeah, the Channel. Mm. That one, this boat here was a Q-ship in the First World War. What, what does that mean? A Q-ship meant that the, the Admiralty took her over. And she traded as if she was a commercial trader and things like that. But in, in all these places and in the side, when the submarine... A submarine invariably uh, gunned them rather than use it waste a torpedo on them because yeah. they were so slow she could pick her yeah. way up. And as soon as the submarine approached close, all the doors would fall down and the guns would expose her and they'd blast the bloody submarine out of it. Right? See, they've fitted two engines and two propellers to yeah. it, the Admiralty did. So she had speed. She had speed. She, wanted, she used to go along like, yeah. labouring with a load of sails on and. Bait. And they had a, Bait, yeah. they had a panic, what they call the panic crew, the four or five which they had normally carried. And as soon as they saw the submarine, they'd take to the lifeboat and leave the navy crew on board. Oh, you yeah. see, very clever. <laughs> yeah. I suppose they got away with that for a few times. Anyway, they got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> These photographs are great, though. It's really worth a visit here to see the pictures yeah. of the people and yeah. how they lived and worked. How much the world has changed since the fishing fleet was blessed in 1960. Yeah. When you look at yeah. Now. Look at the people, people on board. We used to go out on these. Look at the jump pack. Yeah. How highly dangerous that. Yeah. You know, if everyone went to one, went to one side, she'd go over, and that'd be the first thing anyone to do if she got a bang on one side or something. Yeah. Everyone would run to the other side. They'd go over, but that was stopped. The insurance people said, "The hell with that." Look at the crowds here. With you know, mm. and we used to go to Wicklow. The blessing of the boats was always on here on uh, August Bank Holiday. And, of course, August Bank Holiday coincided with the regatta in Wicklow. And after this, after that, we used to get all the people and go to Wicklow and back for the regatta. Great day out. Great day out. But how there wasn't accidents, I don't know. I mean, this is a real... Yeah. Dunleary is a different sort of... A... Dun Dunleary is a steam packet company. Yeah. You know, passenger people, everyone's passenger just going through it. You know, this is a this is a seafaring town yeah. as opposed to a, a port no, for I reckon, entry. I reckon this is the best uh, maritime museum in Ireland. I don't know any any others that come. A lot of maritime museums are a little part of another museum or yeah. something, you know. Well, I don't think I don't know of any other town in Ireland that has the same sort of tradition of boat building. And, no. uh, well, Wexford, County Wexford and County Wicklow are the two. Yeah, sort of County Wexford counties. is a good yeah. tradition. So sitting on board chairs in our club, boats around us, people working on them, that's what all the sounds are behind us. Yeah. 
Uh, you've sailed now, you've continued to sail, haven't you, on your own boat? Yeah, I, well, I had, this is my second boat. I had an old one, uh, Ferry Atalanta. I don't know if you heard of that. I have. Of a fox. Yeah, uh, famous. They were dropped out of aeroplanes yeah. and things during it, it the war. It was plywood, wasn't it? It was plywood, yeah. Moulded ply. Moulded ply. It was very advanced. It was sort of oh, aerodynamic beautiful. looking. Yeah. yeah, very very beautiful. I remember those, yeah. But I couldn't, I, I was at sea at the time and I couldn't maintain it as she wanted to be. As she deserved. Uh, yeah, and so I sold her on and got this plastic boat, as we call it. So I enjoy her. She's more or less something similar. She got lifting keel, you yeah. know. Yeah, you can go and it means I can run yeah. up on beaches and I can do almost anything. And you do that still? Yeah, I do. I went around Ireland. Looking after the uh, Maritime Museum in Arklow, as you do, you can see how the industry changed over the years. Mm. Gone from sail to motor and nowadays high technology. Yeah. But is there something common about all the guys you see from the old photographs and today who go to sea? Something that gets them, is there? Ah, there is, yeah. There's something. You seem to know them as soon as they walk into the museum, you say, oh, that, that guy is a seaman, ex seaman, or something like that. You do know it for some reason or other, I don't know. But it's, it's there. Maybe it's just experience that you, you yeah. pick them out. Okay, so the sort of memories that endure, aside from all the places you've been to, but then the peace, the, the tranquility, or not of the sea, how do you. What sticks out in your mind for the for your life at sea? Forever changing. You know the lovely evenings, the sunsets and the sunrises and the stars, you know, and the cloud in the sky. And of course, we were deadly interested in the stars then. We used to navigate by them and and uh, you know all the heavenly bodies. But uh, it was beautiful. And then even the storms were lovely, and beautiful at the time. You know, in a storm like if you have a. So the moon peeping out at times between clouds it used to lighten the whole place up and showed everything up but in the pitch dark nights you didn't know what was going to hit you We've had a very pleasant day here in Arkla with Captain Danny O'Neill talking about his life at sea about the Arkla Maritime Museum and about his book Out of Arklo. Danny's book is now published and it's called Out of Arklo and it's available in your local bookshop or in the library or through Amazon.com. It's a fascinating account of Danny's extensive career and travels around the world in all types of ships, from the early days on Arklow trawlers to being a master of supertanker. If you get a chance, you should really pay a visit to the Arklow Maritime Museum. There's plenty to see, artefacts, lots of stories and models, and it's in a really impressive light-filled building in the Bridgewater Centre. The museum comprehensively captures and celebrates the rich boat building and seafaring tradition of Arklow, its maritime heritage. And most days, Danny will be there to welcome you. I'm John Murphy. Join me next time on Sea Stories. Next time on Sea Stories. So I'm looking at very nicely cut raw timber at the moment, right? Where did, where did you get your timber? From uh, the Kilrudri. <laughs> it can't be more local than that, right? Everything about this boat has been designed specifically that we would keep it local because we hope to see five of them racing down off Bray. Yeah, you need to have a class, don't you, to make it work five yeah, of them? That's yeah. right, yeah. And we need to make sure they do because, I mean, plenty of uh, classic boats have been rebuilt but not used. We intend to see that these are used. Sea Stories, Lives Touched by the Sea, was presented by John Murphy and produced by Pat Hannan. Find out more information about Sea Stories. Go to facebook.com 
forward slash Sea Stories Ireland or follow Sea Stories on Twitter at Sea Stories IRL. It was a 21st century Vox production for East Coast FM and was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. With funding from the Television Licence Fee.